1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 is what we are going to be looking at today. And I pray that you would be able to see the beauty that I see in it. Um, and I, I'm going to give you a lot of examples that just come from a father's standpoint to try to relate this to you. And so I pray that you'd bear with me as we do that. First uh, John in chapter 3, verse 1. We left off chapter, chapter 2 with the promise of eternal life there from 25 through 29 and about us being righteous, walking as we are righteous because we are in God through Christ Jesus. And here in chapter 3, this is how John starts. We spoke just a moment ago. John begins with this... This subject of love that he just can't seem to shake. Chapter 1, he spoke about this, and then he talks about, a lot about practical application with that. And then here in chapter 3, he begins again with that love. And this is what the book is about, is love. And, and it's, it's, it's about love and about eternal life, and it's a hard book to practice. But John here... It's like by faith his eyes go to the Lord and he begins to paint us a picture of what that love is like. Listen to what he says here in verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's begin there in verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, see. Now the word there, see, means to behold. Right? So he's, he's drawing our attention away from the world and he's taking our attention and he's making us look at something else. See or behold what I am about to tell you. Take your eyes off from the world. Take your eyes off of your circumstances. And I want you to put your eyes, place them, let your heart go to a place that's not here but somewhere else. See or behold. Look by faith at what I am going to tell you. Take notice. Listen. This is what John is saying. John here again, he's getting carried away thinking about the ravishing love of his father that he has through Jesus Christ. He says, see or behold. And, and we have a reason to, to be like this. We have a reason to act like this the way that John is acting. If we would just stop and consider and behold the love that the father has for his children, if we could just do that for just a moment, you would be carried away just like John is. Yes, yes, amen. Listen to what he says. See how great a love. The word love is absolutely agape right here. This is the word in the Greek. It is agape. See how great agape love the Father has bestowed upon us. John here has good reason to be excited. And today we should have good reason to be excited about the love that God has bestowed upon us. We should be excited about it. So often we're not, we grow dull 
Because we hear of the love of God and we hear of it and we hear of it and we hear of it. But John here is excited about the Father's love for him. It's been bestowed upon John. It's been given to John. See, it didn't belong to him at once, but then it was given to him. Do we understand that? It was a gift bestowed upon him. If I give Robert a gift that he didn't have before, he didn't have it before, I may have planned it. And I'm going to plan this and I'm going to give him a gift. But if he didn't know that, it it makes no never mind. Once I bestow it upon him, I give it to him and then he receives it and then he loves it. This is what John is talking about here. The love of God was bestowed upon John and he cannot help but speak of its goodness. John has good reason to be excited, and I pray that we would be excited about the love of God. Look at the verse. Why would we be excited about this? Look at what it says. This great agape love has blanketed us. We don't deserve it, but we are given it. We don't deserve it, but we are given it. It is bestowed upon us. Let me give you an example. Now, as a pastor, my children are used to being examples. And so they're going to be examples this morning. Yay! I'm going to start from the bedroom order all the way down the hallway to the littlest ones. Let me give you an example. Cold winter nights last night. The house we usually keep it at about 68 degrees. In the wintertime. So that's, for the most part, that's all of the rooms, with the exception of Sayla's, because it's right next to the, right next to the, the heater in the house. And it, her room, for whatever reason, stays always, stays pretty warm, don't it, say? Pretty warm. Uh, the kids are asleep, and I'm always the last one to go to bed. I, I just, I struggle with insomnia a lot, and I'm up walking around the house and pacing the floors, and, <laughs> and, uh, I go, I go through the house and before I, I lock everything up and I, I go through the house to check and make sure all the kids are in their bedrooms. They don't know this, but I do it every single night um, to make sure they're covered up. Or if they're curled up in the fetal position because they've kicked the blankets off. Okay, this is what I do every night. They don't know it, but I do it. Sayla's the first one I walk into, she, and, and she, her room is the first, and so I, I walk into her room, and Sayla, ever since she was a little baby girl, little bitty, you couldn't put her in a blanket. Just couldn't. And even today, you can't put her in a blanket. You walk in, she's got it, she's got it kicked off on the floor, and she's sprawled out, taking it all in. That's just Sayla. That's who she is. Nevertheless, I take the blanket, I put it back on her, and she takes her right leg and kicks it off. But I still do it. That's who she is. I move on down the hall to Anna. And y'all please pay attention to me. You're going you're gonna to love this and get, you're going to see what I'm telling you once you see what I'm saying here in this, with these examples. I go, go to the next room. The next door is Anna's room. 
I walk into Anna's room since she was a little baby. She was swaddled and she was swaddled until she was a year old. She loved to be bound while she was in the bed. She, she, and even today, she has two blankets on. They're very plush. They're pulled all the way up to her neck. She has two pillows that are better than my, mine and her mama's. Blankets that are better than ours. She's living it up like the Queen of Sheba in her bedroom. With the blankets pulled all the way up here. And her face is half covered. I don't ever have to, I, I never have to touch the blankets. I, I peek in, turn the light on, I see her, turn it off. That's all I have to do. She takes it, she pulls it up. I move on down the hall. And I walk into Ruthie and Isaiah's room. They have the big bedroom and they share the room together. Isaiah's on the left side of the room walking in. Ruthie is on the right side. The first person I see is Isaiah. As I walk in, I can immediately see Isaiah and Ruthie are both cold because every night they kick the blankets off. Okay, so they, they're both cold immediately. They kick them off. Isaiah is usually in the fetal position and he's curled up as tight as a tick. I mean, just... And the reason why is because they opted to sleep on top of their real blanket... So they wouldn't have to make it up the next morning. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm telling you? So we give them a blanket of which they're laying on. They have a, another blanket that we layer over them, but they don't want to mess their bed up. So they opt to lay on top of the blanket and then put another smaller blanket on top of them. So I get to Isaiah first and Isaiah's in the fetal. He's not got any uh, socks on, which is not anything new. He's never wore socks, y'all know that, or shoes. And uh, he's barely got any clothes on. I mean, he, he'll strip down and he's laying there in the bed just freezing to death. And I'll take that little blanket and I'll grab it and I'll pull it up over him. And I kid you not, he'll grab that thing and he'll tuck it as tight as he can around his chin. And he'll just, mm, mm. <laughs> You couldn't have got it on him before bed, but, but now that it's a cold, mm, I move over to Ruthie and there she is. Her bed's perfect. She made it before she went to sleep, you see. And she's not going to mess it up. So Ruthie gets a blanket, blankie that she's had since she, the first day she was born. She grabs blankie. And throws Blankie on her. Blankie is a baby blanket that she sleeps with. So she throws Blankie on her and then in the middle of the night she throws Blankie off. And so when I get to Ruthie, she's cold. She's sleeping right next to the window. And the window right there is cold. There's, there's kind of a draft there and she's cold and you can tell it. So I have to take Blankie and I have to roll Ruthie away from the blankets... Because she's getting big enough now to where I have to physically move her to get her off the blankets. And sometimes it looks like me picking the blanket up and rolling her off. And then rolling her underneath the blanket. And when I do that, she says, blankie. And so I give her blankie. I throw blankie in the bed with her. Cover her up. 
and she snuggles. Mm -mm. Just like that. That's my four children. That's my four children. Now, I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention. My point is, it's not about how much my children love me that makes me cover them up. Or about what they have done for me. It's not about how much they love me. It's not about how much what they have done for me. It's about who they are to me. They are mine. They are my loves. And it's my agape love for them that makes me pour out my love towards them. You understand what I'm telling you? They're not even awake to receive the gift when I come through and put blankets over them. But because of the love that I have for them, it stirs my heart to move towards them and to love them and to blanket them with that love. It's my love that drives me to check on them and to make sure that they are okay, even sometimes multiple times a night. And the kids don't know that. But even Ruthie and Selah, they'll wear their, they'll wear their glasses to bed at night. And I'll go through and I'll take their glasses off because first off, I don't want to buy another pair. But secondly, more than that is I know the next day they will need them. And so I take them off and I put them in a safe place to where they can get them in the middle of the night if they need to get up. Because my love drives me to do that for them. Not because of anything that they've done, not because of anything about who they are, but because I love them and my love that I have for them blankets them. Listen to what it says. See, behold, how great a love... The Father has bestowed upon us. He's bestowed it upon us just as I bestowed upon my children those blankets. It's a blanketing love. Do we understand that? I hope through the examples of our children that you can see that this is a blanketing love. A love that covers a multitude. It covers, listen to me, it covers a multitude of sins. Covers them all. Covers them all. Anything that comes between us and Him, His love covers. Because of what Jesus Christ done for us on the cross. But yet He has chose to pour out His love for me and For you. See, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. See, when we stop and truly consider that, those moments of love where the Father goes through the house checking on his children when they're sound asleep, it's his love that drives him to do that. 
It's his love that drives him to love them more and to love them better and to make sure that they're taken care of, make sure that they're well fed, to make sure that they're cared for and to make sure that they're doing well. It is his love that compels him to do that. And it is our father's love that compels him to love us despite our failures. Do you understand what I'm telling you this morning? It's called grace. Grace. It's called unmerited favor. Yes. He loves us when we could not love Him. Yes. Amen. We're asleep and He still loves us. Yes. He has poured out His love on us. He has blanketed us with His love. Yes. John cannot help but to speak about it. I cannot help but to speak about it because of the sins that He has covered in my life. Yes. Because of the times where I didn't know he was around, he was loving me. He was preparing me for, to be a dad and preparing me to be a husband and all of these different things. And I didn't even know it. He was preparing me to be a pastor and a preacher and a minister of the gospel through the different jobs that I had. I didn't even know it. But because the blanketing love that he has for us supersedes anything that we could say or do. And nothing can separate us from that. Amen. Nothing. It's blanketing. We've got to understand that. I want you to notice next that this love that he has for us is lasting. It is lasting. This love that has been bestowed upon us, it's lasting. It's never never ending. Listen to it. Listen to what it says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. Notice just how lasting it is. Listen to Romans in chapter 8 and 28, 29. Let's let's read 29 through 39. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You talk about lasting? You talking about his love being lasting outside of how much we love him? Listen to what it says. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He, 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 he did that for me. And this just is not in time, but this is in time past in eternity. There were things that he purposed and promised to come to be. And these are the things that he's talking about. This is a lasting love that we're looking at. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. You see that? He delivered his own son up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ. Is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
See, we can't separate us from the love of Christ because we, we have been loved before the foundation of the world. And then it came to, to be and, and purposed in time, right now in time in our life. And then when we go on to be with him, it'll be forever. Yes, amen. And so we can't be separated from that love. Drives me nuts when people tell me that they can be separated from the love of God. I'm like, so you think you're stronger than the creator? Who holds you in the palm of his hand? You're hid in Christ with God the Father. You really think that you can separate yourself? No, this is a lasting love. It never ends. It never fails. It is long-suffering and it is steadfast. It has to be because God cannot go against His Word. Listen to what it says here in verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a loving, lasting love that he has granted us. This love lasts past the moments of time. It stretches into eternity, into the future. If you can say future with eternity, I, I mean, that's how we measure time, but it's future, past, whatever you want to call it, it's eternity. Where it shall never end. And because it stretches into eternity, into the future, we also know that his love for us started in eternity past. Where Romans 9 and 29 starts. Where it says that we were foreknown. Then we were predestined. I'm not making this up. I can't take it out of God's word. We were foreknown. Then we were predestined. Then we were called. Then we were justified, glorified, called, and elect. It's a lasting love. Get used to it. You can't get away from it. So is this love for us. I want you to think about it today. If you have been saved by God's grace through the Father and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, by faith, you are His child. You are adopted. You are adorned blanketed with His beautiful love. You cannot get away from that. So my mind goes off the rails like John's when I think about what He has done for me. Let people fuss and argue about doctrine all they want. I know what God's Word says. I believe it. And I know that He loves me. Listen to what it says. That we should be called children of God. Called children of God and such we are. Now the word there, anytime you see the italics, and I I think most of y'all know this, anytime you see the italics where the word looks different than the rest of them, um, 
That was not in the original manuscripts. That's a word that is placed in there to add, and I say add, and I use that very, very loosely. It is, it is to make the sentence or what's being said more clear. And so you can actually take that word out, and it still has the same, has the same meaning. Listen to what it says. Called children of God, uh, we are. So the verse would read like this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be or that we should be called children of God and we are. It doesn't change the wording and it doesn't change the sentence form at all. It's just that word such is, is thrown in there to, to uh, help us better understand the verse. And so anytime you see those italics, you'll, you'll notice that that's not originally in the manuscripts, but are placed in there to help us better understand what's being said. So I want to leave that one out, and I just want to call it like this. Call children of God, and we are. This is a promise. We are called children of God. Where are his little ones? Running around his feet. Running around his feet. Let your heart go there. Let it be raptured up to see yourself running around the feet of our Lord. Playing. Calling Him Papa, Abba, Father. Earthly fathers will fail us. But the Heavenly Father will never, never, never fail us. God is love. Verse 1, listen to what it says. And I'm almost done, just bear with me. Listen to what it says. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Now around God's people, this shouldn't be the case, and it's not with us here. However, when we go out into the world, the world does not know us does not understand us, does not understand who we are, does not understand why we are what we are. This is what John is telling us. Does not understand why we do the things that we do. It's unfathomable to the world that we give money to an invisible God to serve an invisible kingdom made up up of sinners and people. It's unfathomable for people to understand that. Why in the world? It's unfathomable for them to think that we don't have to have gold and silver and money to make us happy, even though it makes the world go round. Amen? It does. It pays our bills and we have to have it. But we don't need it as far as we don't have to fill an empty void in our heart for it to make us happy. The things that the world offers we don't need because Jesus is the one that does that for us. The world doesn't understand this. Just, just, they just can't understand it. And the reason why they don't understand is because they don't know the Father. That's what the scripture says. Listen to what it says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Did not know Him. 
Let me give you an example. There's six of us siblings in my family. Six of us. Brothers and sisters that make up my siblings. We know each other because we were all raised in the same household. Amen? Six of us. We all know each other very well. Now, if someone off the street came into my home where me and my five other brothers and sisters were sitting and talking, some, some random dude just comes in off the street. He comes up to us and he tells us, I'm your brother or sister. Well, we'd laugh him to scorn. I mean... <laughs> Me and my five brothers and sisters, we would, we would sit there and we would laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Why? Because he doesn't know us. We've never seen this person before in our life. He doesn't talk like us. He doesn't walk like us. He doesn't have the same idiosyncrasies that we have. He doesn't, do, he doesn't move like us. Doesn't look like us. Doesn't have, not even resemble us. No way, shape, or form. He doesn't know us. Why? And why don't we know him? Because he's not part of our household. You follow? He's not part of our household. Now, I want you to listen to me. Please pay attention. They don't look like us, act like us, talk like us. They don't know our secrets. They don't know our promises nor do they walk like us. You would say that that person doesn't know your father, and he or she is not kin to you. That would be very obvious from the get-go. If some random stranger walked in and said that they were kin to us, then you would begin to examine and you would say, no, you're not. They're just not. You don't know my dad and my mom. You've not experienced what we've experienced. Give us proof. However, pay attention now, because I'm just about done. However, if that same person came in off the street, and at first glance you may say, no, we're of no relation. We're not kin. You may look at their skin color. You may look at how they're dressed or may look at their social status and say, no, there's no way. We're not kin. We're not related. No way. But then he or she begins to speak. They begin to speak. They speak of the characteristics of the father. They even know the family secrets and the, and the promises. They tell of stories of old that only the family could know. And even make a convincing argument that they're a family. And then they stand up and walk across the room and you notice their gait and how they walk. And you see that it's like your parents. Like your mother or your father's. How they walked. Or they might even have the same movements or nervous tics that your parents might have had. That you recognize very quickly. And after they walk a little while and after they talk with you a little while. Then you would know indeed this person is family somehow some way. How do they know all of these things? 
How do they walk just like us? How, how do they talk just like us? Why are they doing the same things that we're doing? Why? This family is somehow, somehow related to us. Why? If we apply this spiritually, the reason why we would know this person is family if we would be able to say and see the love of God on their lives. They would speak about it. They would walk like it. They would know his promises and love his son Jesus Christ by faith whom he sent to redeem us through. Whether through adoption or not, we would be able to see that in them, that they knew the Father. That they were part of the family. That they were not strangers, even though we'd never seen them before. They walk like us, talk like us, act like us. They know the promises, they know the covenants, they know all that there is to know. They're walking the walk and they're talking the talk. You would say that they're family. But the world does not know us according to verse 1. And the reason why is because they don't know the Father. There is a noticeable difference in their walk, in their talk, their movements over ours. A noticeable difference. The world is just not kin to us as Christians. It just isn't. And the reason why is because we don't have the same father as the world has. Their father is the devil, Satan. And ours is the good father, the Lord God Almighty. We are called out and loved of the father. So this morning, God is love. We love him because he first loved us, which comes later on in this very book. We love him because he first loved us. His love is a blanketing, all-covering love. And his love is lasting. It's an eternal love. Let's pray.